Our uh, first scripture reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel. In fact, both uh, scriptures will be from Mark's Gospel. First uh, now is from uh, chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. Again, you can follow along on the screen. It says, when they, and that means Jesus and the disciples had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The uh, Brentwood Baptist Church, which is near Nashville, Tennessee, uh, they've created a rather unique church. It is exclusively for deaf people. In fact, at one of their satellite locations, it's titled The Deaf Church. Studies show that between 80 to 90% of deaf people in this country don't attend church, either because the churches don't have any interpreters on hand, or there simply have been no specific accommodations made so that they can hear the worship service. And I just want to say parenthetically that I'm glad that we have those hearing devices present uh, for you and available for you to hear the service. And for those of you who are watching at home, you can also access the service and hopefully be able to hear it as well. Well, back in 2003, the Brentwood Baptist Church decided to do something for the hearing impaired. They built a state-of-the-art worship center that was specifically designed for the needs of the hearing impaired people. It's called the Inman Deaf Chapel. It seats over 250 people. It has a clear line of sight to the big screen, just like you see here, except that in that church, each row sits 13 inches higher than the one in front of it. They also have enjoy, uh, installed gigantic speakers below the uh, floor so that the congregation can feel the vibration of the music. The room is also on a digital loop system. What that means is that the deaf person is allowed to tie into the sound system simply by flipping a switch on their hearing aid. As one woman put it, it is a blessing to be in an environment where I can function and participate fully. Well, in our story today, not too long after arriving in an area called the Decapolis, which is a federation of 10 cities outside of Israel, some people bring to Jesus a man who was unable to hear, unable to speak, and probably unable to go to church. And they are begging Jesus to lay hands on this man and heal him just as they heard that he had done many times before. This story is found only in Mark's gospel. So let me give you just a bit of background. Jesus' reputation to this area precedes his arrival. And stories of his making the lame to walk and the blind to see have already been making the rounds for quite a while now. For example, in Mark 6, 56, which I read earlier, it says, and wherever he went, in the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. 
I am uh, starting a new sermon series today that I'm going to carry through all this month of May that is called The Five Love Languages of God. I'm basing it on a book by the Christian author Gary Chapman that lots of time couples will use before they get married and lots of them will even use it several years after they're married. Now, Gary Chapman says, as a premise of his book, that love is the foundation of any healthy marriage, any healthy relationship. But he says that manifests itself in five different ways. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, the giving of gifts, and acts of service. And today, we are looking at the first of those love languages, physical touch. And so I invite you to join me as I share in this physical healing of Jesus as it comes to us from Mark's gospel, chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Once again, I invite you to follow along on the screen. Then he, meaning Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this man seems almost to be penciled into the margins of the New Testament, just another desperate person seeking Jesus' help. He walks on stage, has no lines, has this brief encounter with Jesus, and then he exits, never to be heard from again. But before he leaves, he makes quite an impression on Jesus. Now, we really don't know much about the man or about his condition. Perhaps he stuttered. He might have spoken with a lisp. Or maybe because he couldn't hear, he didn't enunciate his words clearly. We're not really sure. All we do know is that Jesus doesn't owe this man the time of day. He's a foreigner, and he has a handicap. He's not a disciple. He's not a Jew. He doesn't slip Jesus an envelope with a check in it. That is a note that says, here, preacher, here's a little something extra to support you in your ministry. He doesn't do any of those things. Now, I have a feeling that Jesus was keenly aware of what a feather in his cap it would have been if he had healed that man in front of all the residents of that region. Just imagine, they all would have returned home telling their friends how they saw Jesus heal a deaf mute man. Instead, Jesus very gently takes the man by the hand and he leads him out to a wooded area. And Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears and then he spits and touches his tongue. And right away we think, oh, yuck, why would Jesus spit and touch his tongue? Why did, wouldn't he just say, get well or, or speak or hear like he did in so many other healings? Well, I don't know, but I do know this that in a high-tech world in which we live today, we need to be a high-touch church where we touch people's lives with the healing power of Jesus Christ. In his book, The Disciple-Making Church, the pastor-author Glenn McDonald shares a letter that a woman from his church sent to him. 
The woman wrote, one Sunday, the message was about God's grace, and I was deeply touched by it. Through the sermon, tears had flowed down my face as I finally began to understand the blessings I'd been given and that I needed to do more to serve God through those blessings. A woman walked up to me in the gathering space afterward and just gave me a hug. She simply said, I just wanted to give you a hug. She was gone as quickly as she had come. I felt the part of this church. It was truly a blessing. Jesus uses ordinary touch and spit to heal this man. He takes the ordinary, and in the power of God the Father, he does the extraordinary. But before this man is healed, this story takes a rather unusual detour. It says in verse 34, then looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed. Now that has to be a misprint in our NRSV Bibles. Could it be that we got bogus pew Bibles in our church sanctuary? Oh no, what in the world is going on? Maybe Mike Henry typed it wrong on the screen earlier. It says, Jesus sighed. It's not supposed to say that, is it? You know what it's supposed to say. It's supposed to say, sir, great is your faith. Or, and immediately, the man was healed. But it doesn't say that. And so we wonder, what in the world is going on here? Did they, did they slip the wrong Jesus into our story? Didn't Jesus say, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So here's a deaf man who comes begging to Jesus, for Jesus to heal him, he falls at his feet, and, and Jesus sighs? It's a word that appears only in Mark's gospel, only in the story, and nowhere else. So, how do we handle the sighing of Jesus? What it's worth, Webster's Dictionary defines a sigh as a deep, audible breath taken when expressing an emotion or feeling. So Jesus looks up to heaven, and from the depths of his soul comes a rush of emotions that says more than words can ever express. You know, I, I kind of wish I could have been there. I, I wish that I could have heard the sigh that Jesus uttered to better understand what it meant. So let me ask you, what kind of sigh do you think it was? Do you think that it was a sigh of anticipation, like when a basketball player exhales as he prepares to shoot a free throw? Or, or do you think it was a sigh of relief, like when the player follows through and he watches the ball go through the net? I have a feeling that it was neither of those. I think that Jesus' sigh lies somewhere between frustration and sorrow. Somewhere between the blessings of ministry and the burdens of ministry. Somewhere between weariness and exhaustion. Somewhere between a fit of anger and a burst of tears. In an old Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown is standing on the pitcher's mound, dejected, and he says, we lost again. I'm so tired, I can hardly move. I'm even too tired to cry, why? If I started to cry, the tears wouldn't run down my face. They'd walk. That's the holy sigh of Jesus. 
The tears don't flow like Niagara Falls. Said they well up in his eyes and they walk ever so slowly down his face. That's the sigh of pain that Jesus feels for you and me. If you're really quiet and you listen carefully, you can hear the audible sigh of Jesus this morning. You can hear the sigh of Jesus in all the sad and tragic and unfortunate circumstances of your life. Like when a family discovers that cancer's terminal. Like when a couple can't find it in their hearts to forgive each other. Like when a teenager is hanging out with the wrong crowd. Like when a person decides that they've had enough of this church. And finally, when a man who's both deaf and mute is brought to Jesus. That's the sigh of Jesus. It's a sigh on behalf of you and me. You see, Jesus knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be, and so it grieves him deeply. And that deep sigh that Jesus lets out expresses his own pain and the pain over his people who are broken, hurting, rejected, and all alone. Jesus sighs, why? Because he cares. Jesus sighs because he loves you. Had Jesus not sighed, had he not felt the burden of the way things are, let me tell you something, we would be in big trouble. What if, what if Jesus had simply chalked things up to the inevitability of sickness and disease and affliction? What if he had simply washed his hands of the whole thing and said, it's really not my problem? What hope would we have? Jesus' holy sigh assures us that God still groans for us. Apostle Paul says in Romans, the spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. So in between the lines of life's fine print, Jesus is whispering, Jesus is listening, and yes, sometimes Jesus is even sighing. And he groans for the day when all the crying and dying and sighing will come to an end and we will be healed once and for all. A number of years ago, there was a crazed man who rushed into this museum in Amsterdam, Holland. He took out a knife and he started slashing repeatedly at a famous Rembrandt painting called Night Watch. A short time after that, another man entered into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and he took out a hammer and he began to smash Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta, which is of Mary holding the body of the crucified Christ. So both the, the Rembrandt and the Michelangelo works of art were severely damaged in these attacks. So what did the museum officials from Amsterdam and Rome do? Did they simply throw away these vandalized works of art? Of course not. These were valuable pieces of art. These were masterpieces. They could not be just thrown away or, or replaced. Instead, what they did is they gathered the best experts from around the globe and they worked together with care and precision to restore these beautiful masterpieces and put them back on display. Friends, in the same way, Jesus sees you and me as a unique masterpiece. We are God's handiwork. And in our story today, Jesus shows us that no matter how severe the damage, there's no such thing as throwaway people. And so out of love, Jesus 
says to the man, Ephatha, that is, be open. And immediately his, his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Never forget that whenever we see the compassion of Jesus portrayed in the Gospels is a human translation of a divine emotion. Beyond his pity is his divine power. And Jesus touches this man who was on the fringe of society, on the fringe of town, and his life is changed. Jesus was a, a tactile person. Oh, he loved words. But you know, sometimes a touch can say what the tongue cannot. And then it says, the people were astounded beyond measure. Can we really blame them? I mean, Jesus Christ went around touching people. And friends, Jesus continues to astound us as he brings his compassion and healing to all the broken places of this world. And then he sends us out as his agents of compassion to bring that hope, to bring that healing touch in all the places that we go. University uh, Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington has a legend in that congregation. It's a woman by the name of Grace. Grace became a Christian on a Christmas Eve night in a Salvation Army hall while her motorcycle boyfriend was robbing a bank and killing a security guard. She wryly comments that her new life in Christ and her prison ministry actually began on the same night. Well, today, Grace has a street ministry to get this, of all people, purse snatchers. In fact, inside her purse, she has a handwritten note that says, Dear Purse Snatcher, I'm sorry that life has brought you to the point where you must steal for your habit. I wish you would return my purse and driver's license. It's such a bother to replace them. Beyond giving you money, which will help you for only a few seconds, I would like to give you my Lord, which will help through eternity. This is my phone number. I'm usually home after 11. And she has led many purse snatchers to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, one time there was a man who came sneaking back with her purse and he, he gave it to her and then he ran off. And he sheepishly, as he was leaving, said, I'm sorry. But Grace is most famous for her school of prostitutes and her motto is leading ladies of the night to the Lord of light. In Seattle, they talk about bringing grace to the streets. Friends, all that is to say is that Jesus Christ is still touching people through you and me today. And so use your touch to convey the love of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for this story and we thank you for your healing power, but we thank you for how your heart breaks over the way things are not and you came as one to demonstrate the great reversal, to turn things right side up so that the broken may be whole. And God, we pray that you would allow us to be agents of compassion and healing who bring your healing touch to all the places we go, whether at home or at work, in our neighborhoods, even right here at the church. And we ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.